0: The Lord be with you. And
1: with your
0: spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth, so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones. And the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. If therefore you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? If you are not trustworthy with what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all these things and sneered at him. And he said to them, you justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is of human esteem is an abomination in the sight of God. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Besides me, is there anybody here who has really bad handwriting? I love the honesty. Those of you with bad handwriting, you have something in common with St. Paul. Tucked away in our first reading today, in the middle of that long list of greetings in the inspired word is a remarkable intrusion. St. Paul is going through the list, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, and And just as our ears and eyes are glazing over because we have no idea who these people are, all of a sudden there's this intrusive reference, I, Tertius, who am writing this letter, send my greetings to. And we wonder, like, who's he? He was St. Paul's secretary. Paul had secretaries that he employed to write his letters as he dictated them. And in part because apparently his handwriting was not all that legible. And if we were relying on St. Paul's handwriting to receive the inspired word, it would have come to us in a very confused and unreadable state. In fact, at the end of one of his letters, he essentially pushes his secretary aside, takes the pen, And he literally writes, see how big the letters are when I write them with my own hand. And as silly as it sounds, there's something marvelous about this. Because note how here, even with something as fundamentally important as the inspired letters of St. Paul, more than one hand was required to produce them. Paul himself, the great preacher, the great man of the word needed the help of someone else for something as simple as being able to write that word in a neat and legible manner. It sounds like such a small thing, the gift of good penmanship, doesn't it? And yet look at how important it becomes. And it's a reminder that these small things of which our Lord is speaking and alluding to in our Gospel reading today, they are very important. Because offered into the service of God, nothing is ever so small as to be of no use. In fact, it is often the smallest and the most ordinary of things that are of the greatest use and the greatest important. We're the ones who get that wrong because we think the great contributions consist in other things, don't we? We look for mighty deeds. We look for great miracles. We look for dramatic actions. And yet here we see this mystery of good handwriting making a difference that changes the history of the church and the world. And that God is pleased to use so humble and simple a talent in so great a way. And Tertius serves the gospel and serves the church more effectively through his handwriting than if God had given him a dozen miracles to perform. Note how marvelous that is. And note what that says about the value of everyday and ordinary faithfulness for us. And of being able to recognize that it is the willingness to offer ourselves in however small a way that has the greatest value. Not the pausing and waiting and aspiring to the moment of doing the big thing. Because as we know, that moment often doesn't come. And sometimes when it comes, because we haven't done the small things, we're not ready to meet it. And so now, with that in mind, we turn to our Gospel reading today. Jesus begins speaking to his disciples in this curious discussion of what he calls dishonest wealth. And he doesn't say that and then say, get rid of it. He says, use it, but use it rightly. And we wonder, Lord, if it's dishonest, why should we be using it in the first place? And so what does he mean by dishonest wealth? He's speaking about the spirit of how this world understands things. And the world understands wealth in a way that implies, if I have certain things, whether it is gold, whether it is possessions, whether it is career opportunities, whether it's popularity, whether it's status, whether it's the opportunity to have unique and varied experiences, that somehow by having these things, my life will be full and my happiness will be secure. That's dishonest wealth. It promises what it cannot deliver. It promises and holds forward a certain degree of happiness and satisfaction, saying, if only you possessed me, you would be fulfilled. And it deceives the heart into seeking after it. It deceives the heart into a certain spirit of restless acquisition-oriented living. Whether it is the accumulation of money, whether it is the the accumulation of experiences, whether it is the seeking after varied pleasures, Whether it is the sense, if I just have this relationship, everything will be okay. Note how easy it is to fall into that trap. Note how easy it is to surrender to that insecure voice that I have, that fear of missing out that lives inside of me. Everyone else has this. I don't, and that must be what I'm really missing. Dishonest wealth. Because in acquiring all of those things, we discover that I'm still the same insecure person I was before. I'm still the same fragile individual I was before. That the happiness these things bring to me, while real to a certain degree, is shallow and passing, fleeting, and impermanent. And once the experience passes, I'm empty until I find another one, dishonest wealth. Note how Jesus is speaking about more than material wealth. He's speaking about the spirit of gain that marks the human heart. We collect relationships. We collect experiences. We collect opportunities. And we collect things. And in collecting, we find that there's still something I don't have, I'm still falling short, and so I need more. And note what happens. One loses himself in this spirit of acquisitiveness, always gaining, and yet even as I obtain, these things slip through my fingers like so many grains of sand and offer nothing of lasting value. And so the Lord says, recognize that how the world understands wealth has a certain dishonesty about it. That doesn't mean it's bad. It means one must recognize it claims to be something greater than it is. And so the Lord says, don't use it to, to obtain happiness for yourself because you can't. Don't seek it because it will fulfill you, because it never could. That doesn't mean it has no value, because rather use it for what it is, a tool that can help make someone else's life better, a tool that can be a vehicle for charity. Make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth. Don't look at wealth as the end. Look at it as a tool to use for the betterment of life. Note how important that is, because all of a sudden, The spirit is no longer how do I acquire, it becomes how do I give? How do I surrender? How do I share? How do I make available? And note all of a sudden how different life sounds just because of those verbs. If the question is always what do I get, I'm placing myself at the center of the universe. I'm placing myself as the most important one, and I'm reducing reality to me. And when I do that, let's be honest, I've really made a mess of reality because I'm not all that big. I'm not all that good. And when everything revolves around me, everything is going to be disjointed. But the minute I say, what can I give? What can I share? How can I contribute? What can I do for the good of another with what I have and who I am? Note that I'm no longer at the center. And note that my life is focused outside of itself to the rest of the world and to reality. This is what the Lord is saying. Wealth says acquire me. And in rooting a certain spirit of acquisitiveness within me, it traps me inside myself. And I can't get out. Dishonest wealth. The Lord says wealth is not a thing to be acquired. It's a thing to be shared. Because honest wealth is not a matter of possessions. Honest wealth is the possession of the kingdom. Honest wealth is a life of virtue. Honest wealth is a life that truly knows where real and lasting happiness is to be found. Honest wealth needs to be sought. Dishonest wealth needs to be used. In fact, given away. And that's why the Lord continues speaking with this issue of whoever's faithful in small things will be trustworthy in bigger things. On the one hand, it seems a simple statement, and yet we have trouble with this all the time, precisely because of how we, what we saw when we reflected on Tertius and his penmanship. We believers often make the mistake of thinking the heart of living our faith is in big things, in great works, in dramatic actions. When we look at the world, we list all of the problems, and we talk of all the ways we'd love it to be different. And yet, that great change doesn't happen overnight. And it can only happen if smaller changes are made along the way. But oftentimes, because we can't get the big one, we don't take the small step. It's a common thing in the spiritual life. I've made a retreat. I've had some kind of an awakening. I decide to take my faith seriously and then I get upset when two weeks later I'm not a saint yet. As if it happens that quickly just because I want it. Oftentimes when we try to grow in the spiritual life we set ourselves a spiritual agenda that's beyond us. I'm going to pray an hour a day and read the Bible for an hour a day and I'm going to add the rosary in it too but if I haven't been praying at all, that's never going to work. I'm not going to know what to do with that hour. I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to get tired. I can't sustain that. It's a big step. It sounds wonderful, but it's not the right step. The right step might be, maybe I'll take 10 minutes every day and start with that because I can do it. And 10 minutes that I can do is a lot better than an hour that I can't. Ten minutes every day is better than an hour once a week because every day I am coming before the Lord in a way however small where I offer myself to him. The one who is trustworthy in small things is the one who will be ready when the big moment comes, the one who will be trustworthy with a greater thing. But if I can't be trusted to do the simple things, to take the small steps and work at getting them right, what makes me think that I'll ever be capable of the big thing? Note how wise that is and how important that is. Jesus doesn't say don't waste your time thinking big, but what he does say is don't buy into the false ambition of the world around you and recognize that great movements of grace always have small beginnings and start there. So when he says, no one can serve both God and mammon, mammon is not merely money. Mammon is the spirit of gain, the spirit of advancement, the spirit of acquisition. You can't serve the Lord who says, give yourself away, and the spirit that says, what do I get out of it at the same time? You can't serve the spirit of giving and the spirit of acquisition At the same time. And so who's it going to be? And so let's not forget who's saying this to us. Because it's Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's that one, as St. James beautifully says, is the one who made himself poor so that we might be made rich. Note, he's not the one who comes to enrich himself, but the one who comes to give himself. And as we hear that and realize that, how beautiful it is that we can reflect on that right here before this altar. Because in just a couple minutes, that same Jesus Christ is going to be right here. And let's be honest, the consecrated host physically is a very small thing, isn't it? Note how small Note how visually and physically unimpressive it is. Note that we have mass every day. Note how ordinary and how common that can seem. And the heart can be tempted to think that the big things are someplace else, someplace more impressive, someplace more powerful, and yet it's not true. Because the greatest of all things is found here, in the small confines of a consecrated wafer of bread, in the small confines of a single chalice bearing infinity in just a few ounces of wine. Note how marvelous that is. And how in this ordinary action of grace that we do so regularly, so faithfully around the world every single day, Infinity is present, here, with us. And note how marvelous it is. How in a few minutes, we'll get to come forward. We'll open our mouths, and we'll extend our hands. Note how simple that is. And yet, when you extend your hand, and you open your mouth, what is placed there? Physically, something small. On the one hand, you're being trusted with a small thing. A single piece of bread, physically speaking. And yet on the other hand, you're being tr- trusted with infinity. With someone more valuable than all the wealth of all the nations of the world throughout all of the many years of history. In your hand. Trust it to you. Note how marvelous that is. And note how beautifully it fulfills what Jesus says. If you're worthy of oh, with the small thing, oh, we'll trust you with the big one. If you're faithful in the small, the great will be given to you. Note how marvelous in the sacrament both are there at once. The small and the great. The weak and the mighty. And note how infinite the trust. Because in the end, The Lord who makes himself poor that we might become rich gives himself to you for exactly that reason. And at the end of Mass, one of our holy deacons is going to say something very important. He's going to say, go. That doesn't mean get out of here, we don't want you. It means go and take what you've received in such a small form here and take it out there. a world that is starving for grace and doesn't even know it and bring it you don't have to do great and mighty deeds but showing up with goodness is a great beginning and the one who is faithful in the small is the one through whom the great will sooner or later assert itself what a marvelous promise that is amen